Today's episode is sponsored by you, my Patreon subscribers. Join the family by visiting patreon.com forward slash Nalini Tranquim. I have no idea how many conversations we had on the phone of me saying, look, you're beautiful. I'm going to be here for at least 15 years and, and you need to move on. And going through all this, this drama and histrionics because I didn't believe that she would stay. Hey guys. Okay, so I am really excited about today's podcast because I am talking to Mike and Cynthia Savage. Now, Mike and Cynthia run a podcast called A Savage Perspective. Great name. I think that's brilliant. Now, Mike is a professor in Bible theology and psychology. He is also the author of A Prisoner's Perspective, Redemption of a Criminal Mastermind, my golly gosh. And his biography states... Federal authorities described Mike Savage as a criminal mastermind capable of bending people to his will. He was that and more. His criminal empire was the subject of a five-year federal investigation that culminated in his indictment on 101 criminal charges that ultimately put him in prison for 15 years, two months, and 28 days. Now, from Mike's perspective, he would lose everything in his life, including his beloved wife, who had no idea that Mike was even a criminal. Now, I am bursting with questions. So Mike and Cynthia, welcome to Under the Rug. All right. Well, thank you very much. Under the Rug's a great title, too. We may change our podcast to Above the Rug just to compete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we can be like you. <laughs> we want to be like you when we grow up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you two are so adorable. My gosh. Listen, I fell in love with you guys, hey, when we had our time together. Um, and I guess, I guess where I want to start is I just want our listeners to hear a little bit about your journey pre all the drama that that you know, eventuated. So can you guys take us back? Like, how did you guys meet? <laughs> right. Well, uh, so I was working for the world's smallest CBS affiliate in Goodland, Kansas, uh, as a news anchor. And uh, they had this charity softball game that was to be played, right? And so I like playing softball. I said, all right, I'll go. You know, I'm not much of a people person right back then, but uh, I'll play softball. And uh, Cynthia was going to be the shortstop for the team. And I made a comment walking by. I said, they let girls play? <laughs> right. Infield? Uh, yeah, infield especially. Do they let girls play in this game? So I, it, was, it wasn't uh, the most romantic way of meeting. No. Um, <laughs> it, it did light my fire, though, because I was very competitive yeah. at the time. And so if, so, well, I had five brothers and two sisters. And so here's this guy I'd never met before challenging my ability to play infield um and because of his comment i think he actually got me moved from shortstop to second base because it was safer yeah for girls at second base you don't have to throw as long it's not as, as long to throw uh, that way but yeah he's, he's always been such a charmer so you're welcome you're welcome for me doing that for you <laughs> yeah but that was that was our introduction okay so where did you guys stand then in terms of god and christianity at this point Go ahead, Cynthia. Yeah, you want the short answer? <laughs> Let's see if we get Start one. with a long answer. I ha I was raised Catholic, Roman Catholic, okay. and we were very. Um, my parents were very, very strict, very, very um, 
on point about making sure we were at church every every Sunday. We went to confession at least once a month. We were involved in um, you know the youth uh, that they had, and so I was very much Catholic and felt that I was Christian. I thought it was one and the same. Um, yeah. I prayed. I believed, but I didn't have. It wasn't until later that I realized that what I didn't have was the one-on-one uh, communication with, with God. It right. was more like I felt like I was standing in line. My problems were a lot less than other, a lot of other people. And yeah. when he got the time, he would get to me. So that's where I was. That's where I stood. Okay. Yeah. I, I was a heathen and a wild man. I mean, my, uh, my parents took me to Southern Baptist Church when I was a kid a few times. Um, I didn't get it wasn't paying attention, wasn't interested, didn't want to know. Um, and so I, it's like I say, it was a heathen. And it, that, that, that was reflected in my lifestyle. I mean, that was yeah. who I was. Yeah. And we're going to delve into that for sure. So Mike, how did you end up then transitioning from the world of television to the world of finance? Well, um, I decided uh, to take some advice from some people in broadcasting who said, you have a face for radio. <laughs> and because I'm not the handsome guy, I'm not the the news anchor type that you see in New York. Looks very serious and um, looks you know, just has that that classic good looks. And so I said, okay, you know, I like radio. I don't I don't have to wear a tie. You know, everything would be cool. That's great. I'm going to do that. So I got a job in uh, California working as a program director at a station in Napa Valley, and uh, they had on a, a radio talk show. But the radio talk show was more home, you know, home and garden and, you know, stuff. And and as program director, I, I decided I would insert myself as a co-host and liven things up a bit, you know, for, you know, ask the gardener how much he's making selling this stuff or, you know, whatever. so eventually the co-host left and I had the show on my own and it, it grew in popularity because it was controversial uh, for the Bay Area. And Mike doesn't play well with others. I don't. <laughs> so he went through a few co-hosts. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the, I'm the longest one that's stuck. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> so, so, and you're the only one I slept with. So I think that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Thanks, so thanks I, for making that clear. <laughs> everything clear. You know, it's okay. We're married. We're married. We are right. Ten years now, right? Yeah, going on thirty-one. All right, right. Yeah. All right. So I'm on. I'm gaining in popularity. The show's gaining in popularity, and I had on uh, this one guest. I had complaining that I wasn't making enough money in radio. I said, you know, I worked my backside off. I'm not making enough money. She says, well, I got somebody that I want you to meet. And I said, okay. So I met the person and uh, got involved in what I thought at the beginning was just. I didn't know what money laundering was. I mean, money laundering wow. had to do with drug crimes and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So I started helping him move money from one place to another, discovered it was extremely lucrative uh, in the 1980s to wow. be able to move cash and do things very quickly. And I left radio and, and went into that full time. And that was my foray, my only time ever being in any kind of criminal activity. And like I said, I was a heathen, but I wasn't a criminal before that. And so that's that was the transition was an introduction that was uh, at times I think, gosh, I wish that never happened. But then if it hadn't happened, I wouldn't know how much my wife really loves me. Yeah. Follow what I'm saying. I mean, that yeah. was through a lot of things here. But the, the deal is that's how the, the, the transition took place. I know that's vague, but it's deliberately vague. Yeah. Um, because no. I don't want to, I don't want to mention other people. And I don't I really don't. The, the thing about crime. Uh, and people who come to God is oftentimes they seem to spend more time telling you about their crimes, almost like they're bragging rather than talking about what God's done. 
Mm. And I'm, I just don't ever want to be accused of that. No, of course. No, of course. Did you know at the time, though, when you started getting involved in this, that you were, I guess, positioning yourself closer and closer towards the underbelly of finance? And At the beginning, no. Yeah. Uh, a year before uh, I was arrested, I found out it was illegal. And I was wow. uh, confronted with the choice of going to the, to the government and saying, hey, look, I've been doing this. I didn't know. And are they going to believe me and stuff like that? We're yeah. lying. And I chose to lie, thinking there was going right. to be a way out of it. Uh, and there was, but it involved going yeah. to prison rather than, you know, them saying, oh, no, it's just a big mistake. You know, so, it, yeah, yeah I, the first few years, no. But the last year, I knew everything was illegal. Yeah. Cynthia. Yes. You, you had no idea, right, throughout all of this. While all this was going on, you had no concept whatsoever. I knew he was doing a lot of banking and and making a lot of phone calls and a lot of travels because I went with him to um, Austria and Hong Kong. Now, I wasn't in on any of the meetings. I was purposefully left out of in any of that. Um, and there was a interesting, there was a uh, uh, lawsuit, class action lawsuit that came up while Mike was in. And uh, one of the questions in that, I had to be deposed. And one of the questions that they asked me from the very beginning was, you, you were living with him for, you know, two, three years. You were married. <clears throat> um, how could you not know what was going on? Mm. And um, it, it was an odd question to me, but I, I guess that makes sense from, from their viewpoint. As I explained from my viewpoint, like I said previously, I grew up with seven brothers and sisters and two parents. And we had, um, you know, three girls in the one room and the boys were in the two other rooms and my folks had another. And privacy, if we were going to have any privacy, it was self-imposed. Yeah. And so we learned very, at a very young age, that if you're not involved in a discussion or part of a conversation, you have no business. You stay out of it. it. Yeah, you stay out of it. You know, if, if there's an uncomfortable conversation occurring, between mom and you know one yeah. of the other kids, you're not part of it. So they'll excuse yourself. You know, get yourself out of earshot, and and occupy your mind on something else. So I grew up with that. Yeah. That if if I wasn't involved in it or included in a conversation, I didn't listen. I didn't yeah. cry. Um, and so it was the same thing with Mike. He was working, so far as I knew, and um, there was no reason for me to stand over his shoulder and say, now what are you doing? Now what are you doing? Yeah. Now who are you talking to? Now what are you doing? That just wasn't part yeah. of who I was. So, okay, no, so, I didn't know. <laughs> so, okay, so at what point then did you realize what was going on? What was the revealing moment? Oh, gee. The first time was when I was about two and a half, three months pregnant, and they all came to the house. They had um, cordoned off the street. There were police officers. Mm. I answered that came up the, behind Mike, had a cup of coffee in my hand, and they said, you know, put the coffee down, sit down, um, where are the knives, you know, where are the mm. guns, I don't know, well, knives are in the kitchen. You know, <laughs> it's just, what is going on? So, yeah, that was the, was the first inkling. I still didn't. I still didn't believe that 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 he had done anything wrong. I thought maybe there was just some type of a misunderstanding for quite some time. And Mike, for you, like when that day came? Well, I was shocked when they showed up the first time. I mean, I really was shocked. I, I, 
I thought we had our tracks covered. Everything was done. Mm -hmm. um, but when they came to arrest me, I was shocked about that. And that was where it was like, okay, this, this just got real. I mean, because mm -hmm. the, from the time they raided the house to the time they arrested me was two years. I mean, they, they had an investigation Whoa. going on two more years after that. And we're living through that, you know, pariahs in the community type of thing. And, um, you know, so when they showed up and they took me away, um, frankly, I was slightly drunk. So I, I, I just to be honest with you, I was like, okay, whatever, let's go. You know, that's, let me have my shoes. And, and it wasn't until I woke up in uh, solitary confinement the, the next day looking around going, what the heck is this? Because they didn't want to put me into general population because they thought I was violent and no time what could happen and all this kind of thing. So, I mean, it was, that was the, the settling in point. And I'm, it was a sinking, ugly, mm. nasty feeling. Yeah, I can imagine. And how soon, how soon after that were you able to have your first phone call with Cynthia? Uh, let's see. That would have been when I got to San Francisco, which was two days later. Oh, they arrest they arrested me on, I think it was Yom Kippur, uh, the Jewish holiday. My lawyer mm -hmm. was Jewish, <clears throat> so he's not available, right? He's unavailable oh. for two days, and so it was. He finally showed up, and and it was like, ah, we'll find out what's going on. Don't worry about it. We'll get bail and get you out. Well, there's no bail. <laughs> you're gonna go. Oh. You're not bailing out today. So they take me to San Francisco and. Um, I could call her from there once I got there and, and it was, it's about 45 minutes to an hour from, from Napa to get there. And of course, you know, the U S attorney's office has the marshals, U S marshals show up mm. who are, uh, very gung ho, uh, very, you know, masculine, oh, you're gonna do all that kind of thing. And I'm thinking, just get me somewhere, you know, where I can call my wife. And yeah. so I was able to call her from San Francisco a couple of days later. And how was that conversation? Awkward. <laughs> awkward you know you're being recorded so you've got to be very careful about what you say and so it was it was it was very awkward in the sense of you know we'll figure this out i don't know what's going on we're trying all this type of thing because i'd only been arrested on four counts at that point it had to do with getting our home loan of all things right, right. they thought i was getting ready to flee to mexico which right. i wasn't but i mean that's what they thought and so they did that and then subsequently there was another indictment so I was in San Francisco County for a couple of months before they, they finally let me go to um, a halfway house and then from there to home confinement eventually for a year and a half, uh, you know, with the electronic bracelet and all that because my case was complex and they wanted me to be able to talk to my attorney. Um, so, so we had all these attorney files in the, in, the, in the house going through those and then they came and arrested me again for, for something. I, I, I'd given a deposition and I claimed my innocence and they said that I lied and so they were going to put me back in jail. So they put me back in jail for a while and they raid the house and then go through the attorney client files. Mm -hmm. And so it was, this was just brilliant thinking on my part. I was very prepared for all of that, but I mean, it was, yeah. it was the nature of the beast. When you fall afoot, uh, fall afoul rather of the, of the federal government, look, they've mm -hmm. got all the money, they've got all the guns, they've got all the people. And they, they came after me with a vengeance thinking that I was some high mucky muck somewhere. The, the thing was that they kept, they were insistent. They were confident that Mike had millions of dollars tucked away overseas. Right. Yeah. And they were squeezing him every which way to get him to release the funds that, you know, or, or to tell where they were, which there weren't any. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, once they realized that, then they really pressured him. Well, you need to roll on the people that were involved with you. 
you know, uh, point the finger yeah. at them, uh, roll over on them. And Mike was just, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going yeah. to take some, make somebody else, throw somebody else in uh, to take the fall. So. Yeah, I mean, they pressured my dad. My dad testified oh. against me at trial. Oh, and wow. So if he didn't testify, he was going to be indicted. And, and so, I mean, this was, uh, and I'm, I'm not blaming the federal government. I'm, I put myself in that position. But people need to understand that that when you actually do cause problems with the federal government of whatever country you're in. Um, it's serious. It, it is very, yeah. very serious. Yeah. There's consequences for your actions. Absolutely. So, Cynthia, how did you... How did you navigate these early few months then with all of this? Because it's not like it unraveled slowly. Do you know what I mean? It's not like you could sort of grow into this <laughs> new direction that your life was headed. It was instant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After they arrested him, uh, the night that he arrested him, uh, our youngest was six months old. He was going mm. to be baptized the following morning. Oh. Um, and... What? And, uh, uh, when they took him, I just, I was, I was kind of numb. I didn't know what was going on. And then when it hit that he wasn't going to be coming back that night and I didn't know when I would see him or if he was okay, uh, I just broke down in tears, mm -hmm. just sobbing. I remember sitting on the floors in the kitchen and I just sat in the corner of the kitchen just sobbing. I mean, I was yeah. frightened. I was worried. I was scared. I was, <clears throat> and I had no clue what else to feel. Um, and I was content to stay there in that position <laughs> for, mm. for as long as it took, you know, to find out what was going on or until Mike came home. I, uh, but then, like I said, our youngest was six months old. And at that time I was still nursing him Yeah, and he started crying and he was hungry and I had no choice. Yeah. You know, I couldn't sit there and wallow in, in whatever I was wallowing in. Um, I, I had to get up. And take you had to get up. Yeah. Yeah. And so from then, from that point, realizing that I had to be there for him, I'll tell you, you know, totally unsolicited, but there's nothing that we were, I was considering weaning, but there will is nothing that will make you wean faster <laughs> than, mm. than a life changing yeah. event. Just all of a sudden, everything kind of it's gone. You're on your own now, kid. Wow. Um, but it, from then on, it was a, a one one thing at a time, one moment yeah. at a time, one minute at a time, one step at a time, yeah. until it became an hour um, to a day to yeah. you know a, a week. But um, I, I uh, the the worst part about it to me was that I, when I had thought that I had cried everything out and that mm. I was coming to grips with the fact that there was going to be a new normal, which meant I knew nothing of what to mm. expect. As soon as that would happen, I'm coming to peace with it. Then out of nowhere, the tears just I would mm. just choke and and start crying. And it was difficult yeah. when I was at work, you know, yeah, of course. or sitting at a stoplight or something like that. And all of a sudden the tears come, which is, I think it's a lot like, um, it, it's a grieving, it's Grief. like having, having somebody that, that yeah. you care for pass away. Yeah. And you know, you, 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 you grieve and you cry and, and then waves of it come mm. from, from time again and again. And so, um, 
just like everything else, just in time. I learned a lot, though. I had no idea how to work a fax machine. I had no idea. (laughs) But by the end of this, I knew how to pull cable. I could replace shower cartridges, sink faucets. um, I could (laughs) bathtubs. I I could do it all. Wow. (laughs) Run a drill, put cabinets on. Girl, that's resilience right there. My (laughs) gosh. Took a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe you. How how did you approach it with your church? I mean, you said that he was arrested the day before your son was baptized. I mean, how did you how did you do that? Like, how did you face that? At the at the time, yeah, it was. Uh, well, I can tell you, literally, it was with a very red puffy face. Is how I faced mm. it. Um, the next morning, <clears throat> I, I think I'd finally gotten through to. Um, Mike's attorney, he finally called. And I said, We're supposed to, you know, our son's supposed to be baptized. Will, will Mike be home for it? Still thinking he's going to pop him loose, you know, overnight, let him go. And he said, You know, you probably ought to just plan on going ahead um, with the baptism. Just go ahead and, and we'll work from there. <clears throat> and so um, went to church and it was a small group. It was, like I said, my brother and sister in law and his kids came from. Kansas and it was us and the priest and um we had the baptism and I cried a lot mm-hmm. and um it never really got a whole lot deeper with the church that was that was about the sum total of it mm-hmm. with the priest okay that's interesting and I guess I didn't think about it any further Okay, so in terms of then day to day, and we're obviously going to talk about the journey because, you know, it was 15 years that you guys had to navigate this. But from a day to day standpoint, then what was the church's involvement then in terms of your care and, and even just, just being there for you as a family? See, that, at that point in time, it wasn't. Mm. Um, um, <clears throat> I at that point in time, there just wasn't any, um, there wasn't any contact with the church. Um, there wasn't uh, anybody that reached out or anything along those lines. It was, you know, I, I don't, I, in retrospect, I don't know if it was my, my withdrawal or if it was just, they didn't know yeah. what to do about it or yeah. what, but, but, you know, over, over the years, you know, Mike was saved. Um, shortly after that, um, I was saved. Mm. And in the process of that, he put me in touch with, uh, well, through his chaplain at one of the prisons, got a list of um, <clears throat> pastors in our area. Okay. And I got in touch with them, reached out to them, and then they ended up just sucking me in i mean it was uh, phenomenal wow we, yeah we had to move out of the house that we were renting at the time because it was it was hard to get work as a nurse at that during for a few years yeah so i was working several small smaller jobs for much less pay and couldn't afford the rent where we were and so they actually opened up the pastor and his wife actually opened up their home wow. to me and, and um our our youngest and um our daughter that we had part-time as well. And so oh. we stayed with them for a number of months. We helped pay for the moving van to get oh. the stuff into storage and wow. all of that. So it was a total turnaround, total, total shift. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, now that's the church, right? Like, <laughs> yes, that's the church. That's yes. what we're here for, right? So, Mike, while all of this is going on out there, you're obviously what left with your thoughts. Was there a lot of regret and a lot of grief, maybe, over what had happened? Where were you at? There was grief about causing my family this type of difficulty. Um, the people I worked with knew what was going on and knew knew the deal. Okay, mm -hmm. so I mean, there wasn't a lot of gee, I need to make apologies to them. They knew what was yeah. going on. They cut me off like they were supposed to, and uh, there's been no further contact to this day. Wow. Um, you know, that's that's the way it's done. But the the main thing that I was concerned, I, I knew that I was tough enough to get through what I was going to go through as long as Cynthia was with me. But mm -hmm. I was thoroughly convinced that she wasn't going to stay with me. I mean, yeah. thoroughly convinced. I mean, wow. I have no idea how many conversations we had on the phone of me saying, look, you're beautiful. Uh, I'm going to be here for at least 15 years and, and you need to move on. And going through all this, this drama and histrionics, because I didn't believe that she would stay. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I, who, who in their right mind would? You, you, you follow what I'm saying? Who, yeah. who in their right mind being blindsided by this, you know, not knowing what I was doing, not knowing what was going on? Who in their right mind would, would stay with me? There's no great catch here. They took all my money. They took all the property. They took everything that we had uh, through civil forfeiture and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just putting me in prison. It was a matter of taking everything that we had bought with illegal, process, uh, illegal proceeds and, and taking it away. You say, well, you deserve that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's what happened. And so I wasn't remorseful in the idea of the people that I was working with. Okay. Because I'm the only one that did any time. My crime. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one that went to prison. Uh, my co-defendants were acquitted when I testified and said they didn't know anything that was going on. Wow! All right. So all that, all that stuff. So which no, they did. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I did not perjure myself. Right. But I mean, the, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh yeah. But the point of the matter is that I was convinced she was going to leave me, and that was the last thing that I could rely on in my life was mm -hmm. my wife. Yeah. So uh, that, those were my thoughts. Those were consumed my thoughts. Um, when there was violence and I had to fight or do whatever, I thought because I knew I was going to lose my wife and I was upset. Mm. I was angry, lashing out. Um, so those were my thoughts. Those were the ones. I mean, you have a routine in prison that you follow. You know, the, you, when you can eat, um, when you can sleep, when you go to work, when you make a phone call, all of that stuff. So the, the, the deal is the routine absorbs you. Yeah. But the thought of losing mm. Cynthia was, and, and watching guys around me, their wives and children, leaving them oh. after a few months of being locked up. Oh, and man. some doing sentences of two years, three years, five years, and their wives and children gone after mm. a few months. So, so I mean, how am I going to last through 15 yeah. years? Of yeah, That's, I mean, you're then like surrounded by an environment of just hopelessness then. Right. And yeah. 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 Yeah, I met, I met several people, uh, wives, um, girlfriends, you know, because you spent a lot of time in the waiting room, waiting yeah, for the you know the, the processing. And I met quite a few of them, and and at the beginning, <clears throat> you know, it, you could tell, no, no, we're staying with him. That's mm. all there is to it. You know, we got it. He's only got five years, four years, and then um, I wouldn't see them for a while. And then when I w mm. saw them again, a lot of those women said, "We're here to say goodbye." Um, oh. I brought the kids to say, you know, goodbye. We're 
moving on, we're moving in with somebody else, you know, his best friend or <clears throat> somebody we met or or something. So, yeah, it, it, you see it from both sides. Uh, it's devastating. It was, always, it was always a best friend to it, seemed like. Yeah, somebody they knew together. Oh, that's we're friends on the outside, that type of stuff. They, oh, yeah, we, and then it turns out to be that, and the guy would go crazy. Yeah, luckily for us, Mike didn't have any friends. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> that's, you're, we're laughing now, but I did not have any friends. That's 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 absolutely true. I had acquaintances, that was it. Oh my gosh, you guys! So, Mike, what was the the turning point for you then that led you to Christ? Like, what happened? Well, well, you know, I've heard all of these stories about how people come to Christ. You know, the and 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 here's what happened to me: first two years, pretty much first two years, I'm working in the kitchen. And I'm making Pruno. Pruno is illegal alcohol. All right. Uh, I'm making, so because I have access to yeast, oh, I'm making. There's a there's a, name, a word she didn't know. Yeah, right. Right. Yep. Pruno. Tickety boo. Pruno. And chinwag. Right. No, that's it. That's an inside joke, folks. <laughs> At any rate, so I'm making Pruno, and I was making book for the guys. You know, the the betting for football and baseball. Yeah, yeah. All, that kind of stuff. all right. So. Uh, all of a sudden, one day, I turn up on this uh, what they have the job sheet. It's called a call out. And my job was changed from kitchen to chapel. Oh. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? Chapel? What are you crazy? Oh my God, a chapel? So I get to the chapel, I go into the chapel. A very nice man, very, very, very nice man. One of the best chaplains I, I came across Aww. the entire time. Wow. Uh, very nice man. He says, Yeah, I, 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 saw, I read your, your, your report. It's a jacket, is what they call it. It's the, the, all, all the stuff about you that you've done in prison, outside of prison, all that. He says, I think you'd be a great chapel's chaplain's clerk so i'm gonna have you come in here become the chaplain's clerk and i said i don't even believe in god what are you talking about said, don't worry about it we're gonna fix this and so he, he he makes me the chaplain's clerk because he's high enough up on the totem pole that i can't get back to the kitchen so oh wow so i go into the chaplain's office and he says okay so you're gonna be in charge of these 13 different religious groups and you got the protestants you got the catholics you got mormons jehovah witness jews uh, Hindus, Buddhists, Wiccans, Santeria, uh, all the uh, all the Muslims, the Sunni Muslims, Shia Muslims, more Science Temple of America, wow. all these different groups, right? And they all have to have their own little meeting times, and everybody's got to have their books, and they got to have their videos, or they have to, whatever they have to have, right? Oh my gosh! And I'm thinking, I, I okay, all right, but how am I going to make money doing this? <laughs> so, so I'm doing this, this stuff, and one of my jobs over the, and, and he would never let me out of the job. Ever, ever, he wouldn't let me out. No matter what, I would swear like a sailor. He, Mike, shouldn't talk like that. You know, I, all that stuff, right? And so, one of my jobs as a, for the Protestants was on uh, Sunday nights. They would always have volunteers come in. So volunteers would come in. I had to wait until the end of the, the program, and then I would clean up the chapel. Everybody leave. I clean up the chapel, then I go back to the cell. That was my job mm. to, to do that. And so every Sunday night, I'm sitting through these haranguing sermons and listening to people say stuff like, oh, I would, you know, there for the grace of God, I would be in prison with you guys, too. And I'm thinking, well, are you smarter than me? You're saying we're stupid now because of that. And, and I'm listening to these people say ridiculous things. And I'm watching the same guys go up every week with different groups to get saved. They're getting saved mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Right. I'm saying, dude, what? You can't do that. No, we want them to keep coming back. So we want them to make it. Okay, all right. So I'm sitting through all of these. And one night, probably three years, four years in, I'm sitting in the back of the chapel waiting for this guy to finish talking. 
right? And as always, we're going to say the sinner's prayer now. We're going to, then people can come forward, blah, 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 blah. And I always sit there waiting, thinking, okay, I hope no one goes up there because I can get out of here fast, right? <laughs> so I'm just telling you the story. Right? This is how it happened. So <laughs> Cynthia finds this enormously no, funny. No, I love it. It's so <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, this is what I'm thinking at the time, you know, as an unbeliever. I believe you. Yeah, yeah well, we believe you. <laughs> okay, so so I'm sitting back there, and this guy's going through this thing. I know the sinner's prayer is coming. And I said, hey, look, God, here's the deal. If you're real, show me something. Wow. You know, show me something. Something that, now I don't want to see a bird fly into the chapel. I'm not buying that. I don't want to see, you know, somebody fall to the floor. I'm not buying into anything. Do something that's going to convince me. Show me yeah. that you're real and that for some reason you care about me. And he made me cry. Oh, wow. And I'm not a crier, dude. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I'm a lot of things, but I am not a crier. And, and, I start crying and suddenly that synapse in my brain that I've been resisting for so long fired. And so sitting through all these things, I'd heard all these sermons, right? Wow. And I'd I'd heard all the things that people had said, and it wow. suddenly made sense. Made sense. All right. It, it wasn't like Paul being knocked off a donkey on the road to Damascus. This was yeah. one of those things where suddenly all this stuff flooded in at the same time. That's the only way that I can describe it is that everything that I'd heard mm. that was true made sense about God, about Jesus, about what he wow. did, about why he did it. And I started crying like a baby. Now, I don't want to see the guys see me crying. So now I'm hoping there's a bunch of guys going up there to get saved <laughs> or, or get prayer or slain in the spirit, whatever they're going to do that night. Get a bunch because I'm crying. And and I mean it's, it's almost like a sob. You know? <laughs> so I've got my I've got my head down and I'm trying to wipe it away. And if I know that somebody said I got I got allergies, you know, it's anything to, to but the so in my eyes. Finally, yeah. I was able to stop crying. I realized that something had happened to me that wow. was dramatic and it changed. I believed God. I believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believed all of those things suddenly. Wow. It wasn't a gradual dawn. Wow. It was like, wow. This <laughs> I wow. So I, I wait, everybody leaves, I clean up the chapel, go back to my cell, and I don't say anything to anybody. I'm not I'm not trying to talk to anyone about being saved. I, I I just, I need to process all of this. And I go in to see the mm -hmm. chaplain a few days later. And I said, I think I got saved. And he goes, it was about time. Oh, wow. I've been waiting for this. Wow. About time. And so, and, and he should never have said, if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> he opened a labyrinth. <laughs> oh, he did. That was, that was, pardon the metaphor, Pandora's box wow. was opened at that point open. because I, I had lots of questions. I wanted yeah. to know, where does it say the temple's got to be rebuilt in Revelation? Who says Jesus is God? Where does it say that in scriptures? Well, you say, John 1, 1, it says right there. I say, yeah. Yeah, but the other Bible from Jehovah's Witnesses says he was a God, right. not just God. He goes, yeah, well, the Greek is really, I said, well, show me the Greek. Let me see in the Greek where, so mm. <laughs> poor guy, he's, he's not a theologian. Yeah. He's a pastor. He's a nice yeah. man. And so he gets me in touch with his pastor. We talk back and forth, says, you know, Mike, you really ought to go to seminary with these questions. Yeah. Because these are the ones. Yeah. So they get me into seminary. Wow. And I'm I'm at, I'm bombarding people with questions and asking doing this and that. Uh, a friend of mine who was doing time was a rabbi. So hmm. we're talking about Messiah, we're talking about these things, which another one's a Catholic priest who's doing time, and we're talking and doing all this kind of and so I'm learning. Hmm. I'm totally immersed yeah. in God now. 
I devise a, a plan, a Bible reading plan, takes me through the Bible at least three times a year. I'm reading all these different sections and chapters every day. I'm spending two, three hours doing that, plus seminary, plus working, plus playing softball, but doing all of these things. Um, and, and God just, when he got me, he got me. Mm, that is enough. I still can't get enough. It's one of those, I, I love, I love that and love teaching, but that was the, that's how it happened. Mm. And it was so unexpected. I mean, I was just mouthing off to God. I didn't expect him to yeah. do anything. Yeah. And then he did. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my gosh. That is so powerful. Tell me, did that God grabbing hold of your heart and this hunger now to just learn about this God that you've discovered, did that shift then? Cause you said you became immersed in it. Did it shift then the mind that Cynthia was going to leave? Did something shift there then, even with those thoughts? Short answer, no, not yeah. at all. So that, that continued. The one, that was I, the one part I refused to give up. I, I God wow. was not going to be great enough to keep my marriage together. Wow. I, okay. I, well, that actually the leads one thing me, I wouldn't hold on to. Yeah. Okay. That actually leads me then to my next question because I, I've got here that when I approached you about featuring on this um, podcast on Under the Rug, I explained to you that this is a podcast where we cover conversations that are too controversial for the pulpit, and I asked you to share a scenario from your own personal journey that you believed would resonate with the listeners, and you said, "I doubted whether or not my wife would stay with me while I was in prison." It was a constant issue throughout my prison term that I later realized, and this just got me, was reflected in my doubts that God loved me. Right. Oh my gosh. Okay. So firstly, I mean, at what point, like what triggered that realization? that there was a correlation here between you being bent on Cynthia leaving you and God not loving you? Honestly, it was after I got out of prison. Um, Because the the deal has been in my life that I have never felt lovable. Um, I've never felt uh, worthy of love. all that sort of thing. I'm not saying that's what led me into crime. I'm just saying that was no. my personal hangup. Everybody's yeah. got their hangups. That was mine. I'm not sure. lovable. Yep. People like me if I'm entertaining. People like me if I'm, I'm uh, you know, counseling or empathizing with them. Yes, but do they really care about me? No, they mm-hmm. don't. And so the the thing with Cynthia was not going to be any exception. I was. She moved in with my parents. Was with mm-hmm. them when both of them died. Mm-hmm. Um, she went through cancer while I was gone twice. <sighs> Um, all that kind of stuff. And and she's still there. And it's not until after the second cancer surgery, and I'm still a year and a half, two years out from being able to be with her, that I'm realizing she's gone through all this stuff and still mm-hmm. here and and taking the abusive phone calls of me saying, I know you're not going to be truthful and faithful with me. And, and yet wow. she's doing it. And so it's like, at that point, it's kind of like, you know what? She said to me something that was really profound. She said, every time you do that, you hurt me. Every time mm-hmm. you say something about us breaking up, you hurt me. And I would never hurt my wife for the world. Yeah, yeah. And that that was a fundamental shift that shift. I think later led to the idea of understanding God's love and not believing that he really loved me because I didn't believe that Cynthia loved me. Wow. Oh, my gosh, that is so powerful. But I think the Lord really used Cynthia then to 
be a like a physical representation, even though it's only a fraction, you know, a portion of, but almost like a physical representation of the kind of love that God has for you. Hey, the fact that she yeah. stayed. Yeah, the and, and a chaplain said that to me at one point. Um, I'll just give you a short story. Um, in prison, you have to pay for your phone calls. Back then, you had you couldn't call collect. You had to pay for your phone calls, right? So every week, Cynthia would send me $20, and I would put $20 on the phone hmm. okay, so that I could call her every night. Oh. And uh, when she moved in with my parents, the first weekend she was there, she uh, I call her, and she, she said, your parents are crazy. And, and I said, well, you know, take a look at me. Are you stunned by this sudden, <laughs> you know, is this a revelation to you? And she says, no, they actually, they buy food before they pay their bills. And I said, well, yeah, you know, children with depression, they're going to do that. They're going to buy food first. You know, food comes first, bills later. And, uh, and so I, you know, I was going to move on to another subject. The Holy Spirit, I was, I was saved at the time. The Holy Spirit said, you know, you need to dig this just a little deeper, Mike. Mm. And I said, look, you send me $20 every week to put on the phone. It's not like you've ever gone without food for, you know, you send me this $20 rather than, you know, you buy food rather than, than sending it to me, right? And there was this mm. heavy silence on the other end of the phone. And I pressed her, I said, is it harder, harder? And she finally says there was times when there wasn't enough food to feed the kids oh and for gosh. her to eat. So she was sending me this $20. And I said, hey, why would you do that? Mm. Why would you not eat and send me? She says, because it's more important to me to know that you're okay oh. than to eat. And so I'm crying again, right? I mean, it's just this broke yeah. my heart. Uh, but the but what it did, Nalini, was I got angry with God, mm. and I started railing at him. Why are you punishing her? She didn't do anything wrong. She didn't know anything that was going on. Right. You're punishing her. Why don't you punish me? There's food here at the chow hall. I can go eat. You're not providing for her. Mm. And so I'm in seminary. I'm doing all this stuff. I come rolling into the chaplain's office the next morning. I said, I'm leaving seminary. You're not going to keep me in this job anymore. I am done with God. I'm done with you. I'm done with this whole mess. And he said, sit down, Mike. Let's sit down and talk. So I told him what happened. He said, wow. Mm. That's God showing you the self-sacrificing mm. love of Jesus through the self-sacrificing love of your wife. Oh. And I was mad still. But I finally got it. This idea of sacrifice, you know, I know personally two things. One, I know what it's like to stand before a judge awaiting your sentence, knowing that you're going to get in a lot of trouble, that you're going to be gone a long time. I know what that's like. I bet most of your listeners don't. But I know it's a helpless, sinkless, sinking feeling, knowing that there's somebody that has your fate in their hands and they are about to doom you. I know yeah. what that feels like. Yeah. But I also know what it's like to have self-sacrificing mm -hmm. love shown to me. All right, so I know those two things really, really well. And, and they've both shaped and changed the way mm -hmm. I view the world. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the story that, that breaks my heart. I mean, it's hard for me not to cry again, all over yeah. again, yeah. with the, the things happening with that, like that. It was, it, was, it was an awful feeling, but it was God using Cynthia to show me the self-sacrificing love yeah. of Jesus Christ when I didn't deserve it. 100%. 100%. Cynthia, you are, yes. <laughs> my gosh, you are such an incredible woman. Your, your resilience, your endurance, 
like we're not talking two years, four years, five years, we're talking 15 years, you know, you had to raise your son and you would have had to have spoken well of dad, you know, so that your son then doesn't meet dad for the first time and hate him, you know, so I can imagine you would have had to have continually chosen life in your relationship with your man. And you're just, you're such a testimony. And so I just want to honor you uh, just for a moment, just like it's that is massive and your guys story is going to go so far and so wide and you guys are going to become such an inspiration to so many people I believe this in my heart because you are living breathing walking testimonies of what God can do like what he can restore where there is this sense of hopelessness he can bring that hope and that healing and that restoration. So I guess this is probably a question for the both of you, but what were your pillars as a couple that helped you navigate those 15 years of separation? So maybe if we could start with you, Cynthia, like what was your pillar? What was it that just made you go, I am not budging. I am not leaving this man. You know, I'd, I'd like to say it was really complex, but it it, it was God. Yeah. That was it. it there was a, a certainty um, that 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 I wasn't going anywhere. My 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 heart was His. My there was none other. Um, it wasn't a matter that I felt that I would be better off without Him. You know, not having to have somebody else necessarily but i just knew there was yeah. no there was no question about um about leaving him uh it was like I said, it's the it's the wife's eyes that's the yeah. way god imprinted both of us i guess for lack of a better word um i learned so much hmm. through those years i mean like i said you know there's the little things like you know I, running a drill and uh you know pulling cables of course <laughs> yeah. uh, things like that uh throwing um curve balls to our son so he could practice for baseball mm. uh you know uh, i never learned that one very well but <laughs> there were a lot of those practical things that i learned but the times that i spent with mike you know we talked on the phone every night about 15 minutes usually every night and then um we'll go down and visit it was 400 500 miles away every other weekend we could visit wow. for five or six hours during the day and hearing uh, what he was learning mm. in his studies and in his oh. in his um discussions with other people and being able because that was feeding me mm. and my soul and my spirit and and uh i was growing and learning to become confident in like I said, I, I used to be very naive and but growing very confident, not in, not in myself, but in God. Yeah. And that's where that's, you know, that's where that's where the really the, the, the stress goes is yeah. that it wasn't building my confidence. It was building my confidence in him. I was reflecting the other day. Um, we, I drove up and down the California corridor, um, you know, 500 miles one way, 500 miles back every other weekend for. 15 years over yeah. 15 years and never had an accident mm. had an almost flat tire once where I was able it was on a holiday and I was able to get to the one place that was open that could yeah. help fix the, the valve stem on the tire wow never had an accident never had 
um, anything happen like that. Now, how many people could say they've driven that much yeah. for that long without yeah. ever having an accident after working all day long and then, you know, driving into 11, 12 o'clock at night and then, mm. you know, the next day driving back from, you know, four o'clock until, you know, midnight. It's just, it's un unheard of. That's the type of confidence in God wow. that I've developed. And I wish I could say, I remember that all the time. You know, I, 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 I always have that same confidence in God, but there's still enough humanity in me yeah. and everything that we've been through that I still go, God, how come you're doing, why aren't you fixing that? Why is it, you know, but. Wow. Mike, what about you? You know, I, I would like to, it is God. I see it yeah. now in retrospect, you know, in, in hindsight, you know, hindsight's 2020, right? You can look back and say, okay, right. Right. it was God. Um, but at the time, I knew there was no one else in the world for me but Cynthia. Mm. And I, there, was, there was no one else. Look, I, I, there's just there's no one else. Mm. And, and the thought of losing her, the certainty at one point that I was losing her, no matter what she said, spurred me on wow. more and more to find more about God. And I, I wanted to reach that point of faith where I could say, I believe you, Lord, this is, now, I believed him in everything else except for that. Mm -hmm. And somehow, when you describe pillars, somehow my doubt became a pillar mm -hmm. that drove me closer to him. And wow. Cynthia and I realized later on that, that we were on parallel paths. You know, we're both learning new things, we're both going through new <sighs> things, to, but that those parallel paths would join again. Wow. And I realized that the day I was released from prison, <laughs> I realized oh. that, okay, we're on the same path now. This is kind of yeah. cool, but it took us that long to do it. Now, I, I, I don't know that this is the case, but I suspect that I would have found a way to mess it up if we hadn't gone through this because I was pretty self-destructive in my behaviors and, and I would do well at something and then I'd say something or do something. And, um, you know, in, in crime, it was a different matter. You know, you, mm. you, that's a life or death thing. Yeah. Uh, but I would always try and self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I would have self-sabotaged, but I, I suspect something, you know, would have, you know, I would have said something, or, but God didn't let that happen. Mm -hmm. He did not let that happen. And he changed the both of us enough to where it's not going to happen. It's one of those things, but, but it just took that long. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty hard headed. It just took that long. <laughs> We're right. Stubborn bunch, aren't we? Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes, but he sure knows how to get through to us. I remember, oh. Mike, say, <clears throat> I remember Mike saying um, several times that, uh, you know, about the only other, sometimes the only th the thing that, that, uh, that's catastrophic things have to happen in order for God to yeah. get your attention. Yeah. And um, at least for us, it was a 15 year separation. It wasn't one of ours death. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, the, it, and again, you know, in retrospect, yeah. Yeah, it was tough, but yeah. you know we made it through it. Um, do we still have issues? Sure, <laughs> sure we do. Yeah, you got two Type A personalities in this house, lady. Oh yeah. <laughs> do we do we figure them out? Yeah. yeah do we ultimately do. know that you know? Hey, we're not communicating very well with each other. It's time for us to pray and ask yeah. God to to do the uh, interpretation here between us. You I know, love that. Right? I think I can, and in, 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 I hate it when, when authors do what in my book, but <laughs> at, the very, at the very end of the book, Go ahead. 
I talk about this fact that I, I read this book while I was in prison about uh, when a shepherd had a sheep that would go astray uh, and just kept doing it over and over and over and over again. He would finally resort to going and getting the sheep, taking his shepherd's staff, taking the hook and breaking the sheep's leg. And he would put the leg back together, bind it together, and he would carry him around his neck, the sheep around his neck, uh, everywhere. So that when it was time to eat, put him down to where he could eat, it was time to get water, go to the bathroom, whatever. But the rest of the time, while that sheep was healing, uh, he was around the shepherd's neck. Right. Now, at the end, when the, the leg was healed, he would take it down, unbind everything. And the thing that had changed in the sheep was the sheep finally realized, I can trust this shepherd because he takes me to green grass, he takes me to running water, he takes care of me and is protecting me, and that uh -huh. sheep would be the one that would follow him the most. Uh. Now, there are people that have said, that's not a true story. Well, I don't give a rip whether it's a true story or not. That's what happened to me, okay? And that's what happened yeah. to Cynthia, and that's wow. what happened to us. We were busted for a couple of, you know, 15 years apart, yeah. but God carried each of us at that time. And now when he lets us down, back together, we haven't made an idol out of our relationship with each other. Yeah. We try to follow him the very best of our way because we know that no matter what, it's gonna, uh, we left here for Hurricane Harvey. We, we, we left the island to, to, for Hurricane Harvey. We were saying to Cynthia, okay, no matter what, mm -hmm. we come back, we're going to praise God. No matter I what the that. house looks like or anything, and he spared the house, you know, all this kind mm -hmm. of thing. There's a lot of work to do, but we spared that. But that's the type of trust that we've learned. Now, we wouldn't have learned that. Now, there's some people who just have that instant faith, trust God for everything. And that, praise God, they're wonderful people. But for us, it was a matter of he's proven himself. Mm. I, I think it was important what Mike said um, <clears throat> before all of this. I, I uh, Mike would have been, I would have considered Mike my idol. Mm. You know, he's the one that I'm, I'm trying to please, that I'm trying to be, <clears throat> you know, most like, or you know, get his uh, uh, his um, blessing from, you know, that yeah. type of thing. And I think he was the same way with me. Yep. He was trying to please me and. and and you know, keep our relationship together in, in yeah. whatever way it was possible. And then, when God said, "Okay, I'm going to take two of you apart," yeah, and it's going to take a little time, but you're going to learn that I come first. Yeah. Mm. God, God comes first, and it, then, then we come next as, mm. as a couple. You know, and then the kids, and, and you know, so it it's as long as God is first, yeah, then everything else flows. Flows. And it's been, it's what, 30, 31 years, you said? Is it long been married? 32? Yeah. yeah. Whatever it is, I'm pretty sure she's not going to leave you now. No. no. I'm no. pretty sure at this point. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. No. But it took a long time. God God, God knew what he was doing. I think yeah. people, when they're going through difficult times, they're going through hardships, um, that's when your true understanding of who God is, your yeah. relationship with him is going to come out. And it's not impossible to have a good relationship going through that. It's it's not, but it does take a step on your part to be willing to be open to the yeah. possibility that God knows exactly what he's doing. 100%. Wow, you guys are just, you're incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. I've just got one more question that I want to ask you. Um, it's more actually, what word of encouragement can you guys bring to the table for our precious listeners today? Some of whom may be experiencing right now the ramifications of bad choices. What what did you want to say into those guys today? Mike, we'll start with you. Yeah, that's a Mike question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, give Cynthia time to think about this. <laughs> yeah, um, I can say from personal experience that uh, you can doubt God, and He still loves you. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You can you can rebel against God, mm-hmm. and He still loves you if you're saved. Or if you're saved, you can do whatever. He's he, he's your loving father, right? Now the the problem with that is that sometimes we may not have had best parents, right? Yeah. And we look at God as being you know, judgmental or holding back or that, but he's not, that's the deal. Judgment's gone. And while your circumstances may not change immediately, they're going to change and they're going to change for the better. If you understand that God's in control and that everything that is happening to you, um, he is absolutely going to help you through and chew through it. The the last thing you want to do is give up because if you give up on God, there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. So that don't give up is my thing right there. Yeah, that's brilliant. Cynthia? For me, the biggest encouragement I would give anybody, which is the biggest encouragement that I give myself, is that they're, again, echoing some of what Mike said. There is nothing that is outside of God's control. Nothing. Not not one little speck of dust someplace flying around that's causing havoc somewhere that God's unaware of. And the fact that, you know, when you find yourself in a situation, the, the, the feeling is where's God, how could, how could he have done this? How could he be deserting me at this point in time? And the reality is that he didn't just look away Mm-hmm. and go oh gee what's going to happen over there and so, oh crap i forgot about cynthia oh gee cynthia i'm so sorry what you're in i you know i just t- lost total track of it yeah. it doesn't work that way he knows which direction you're going whether it's mm-hmm. a poor choice or a good choice and he knows <laughs> that after that poor choice or good choice he'll still be there to pick mm-hmm. you up yeah and, you know yeah it's so much like what a what a a parent does for a child who falls yeah. down you know you tell them the stove is hot don't touch it they touch it you know yeah Come on, i told you but still you warn them you tell them and sometimes we just don't hear that little warning and so we go ahead and touch it yeah God, why'd you let us why'd you let me touch the stove <laughs> you didn't tell me it was hot yeah <laughs> you didn't mean it literally did you yeah so it's it's yeah. nothing's occurring outside of his of his knowledge and uh, one thing that Mike always taught me that's so diff- so the only only perfect thing there is is God. That's yeah. the only only perfection there is, and everything that He does yeah. is perfect. And so even if to you it seems like it's the absolute worst thing, there's mm-hmm. a perfection within it because God is within it. That's right. And you gotta go with that. Let wow. me let me let me just add one other thing to this. I know mm-hmm. it's final no, words. Final go words. Ahead. I'm, I'm <laughs> go old. Ahead. You know, get old. <laughs> I love it. Bring it on. (laughs) I know there's people out there that are hurt. And I know there's people questioning, well, why did this happen to me? Why am I having to go through this? What's the, and, and I get that. And, and, and I understand. Try and go as far as you can into that. Right. Mm -hmm. Just, just, just roll around in it, permeate, just, just let it soak into you. Why, why I don't understand it's unfair and then stop. Yeah. And ask yourself this one question, do I really want it to be better? Do I really want to be better? Or do I really just want to wallow around in the mud, in the muck and mire and be a victim? That's good. Because if you really want change and you really want to, to move forward, then, then take that step towards God. Some people are so comfortable being victims. Look, I, I, I was around a lot of them while I was in prison. I'm here because of where I lived or my skin color, this, that. And, and some of it was true. I get yeah. that. Yeah. But that's not who you are. Who you are is a child of God. Yeah. And so 
wallow around as long as you need to. And then when you're done, take that one step closer to God. Just, yeah. just take that one step. Yeah. And, and he'll be there. So I just, I, I really, no, that's really brilliant. I'm that. so glad. I'm so glad you said that. And I guess I just want to take it one step further then by saying, okay, we have someone who might be listening right now. Who's like, yeah, I know I need to take that step. Mike, can you just walk them through that step? Sure. You got to get to the end of yourself, the end of your best thinking. I used to tell guys when, when I was preaching in prison, and we were having bars around us. Uh, look around guys. This is the result of our best thinking. Right now, wow. the circumstances that you find yourself in may be the death of a child, could be horrific experiences, and and there's there's nothing that's going to take away your grief. Yeah, but your pain can be resolved Amen. through understanding God yeah. and understanding His great love for you. So you, you just get to the end of yourself. Just just go as far as you need to go. Get to the end of yourself, and when you're done. I mean, really done. I mean, it was, oh, I've, I've hit rock bottom. Well, there's a lot of ledges on the way when you're falling <laughs> down to rock bottom. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> when you finally get there yeah. and realize that the rock that you landed on is Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. it'll it'll turn your life around. And that's the deal. You got to get to the end of you. You got to get to that because until you do, you're going to think you can figure this out or you're a victim. Yeah. And you're, you're not going to figure it out. You're not a victim. You're a child of the most high God. And if you can begin to realize that your father is the creator and the sustainer of all things, mm-hmm. everything, he made the gophers and he made the stars. He made all of these things in this world. He's your father and he's favorably inclined towards you. Mm-hmm. you realize you've got him on your side. That's the time. But you got to get the end of self first. Yeah. For me, it took 15 years. To get the end yeah. of self. And then I think I hit a ledge or two once I got out and I had to go a little further down. But the, the the point through all of it is get to the end of you. Yeah. Let God have that one step where you just take that one step towards him. Just do it. Oh, you guys, thank you so much for just bearing your soul today. I, I cannot thank you enough. And for everyone that's listening, I'm going to make sure that um, there is a link in the description field of today's podcast um, to A Prisoner's Perspective. Get the book. It is outstanding. I'll also make sure there's a link to my Cynthia's podcast, A Savage Perspective. You guys are going to want to subscribe to that. It is just brilliant. They've got some... I love how you guys say you only you only interview interesting people. That's <laughs> true. That's <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's exactly true. That was that, that was our rule going. In. I, I love just it. Tell you a quick story. Cynthia and I were supposed to just do the podcast, the two of us talking about current events and all the, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of, and so I get her behind the microphone. And I'm an old broadcaster, right? So I'm ready to go, and and she's looking at me, and she, she <laughs> he tells me, he tells me, yeah, do a mic check, speak into the mic. And I'm what am I supposed to say? One, two, no, not like that. Oh, it was, it was hilarious. Uh, it was one, two, three, four, five, six. We've seven, talked. Five. We've been through all this stuff. We get her behind the microphone, scared to death, right? And I'm, I'm suddenly feeling superior, right? So, so I said, no, I've got, I've got a brilliant idea. We're going to invite guests. So Love it. And I said, well, only people that we find interesting. Well, it's only me. I invite the guests. So, but that's the deal. So it's a Christian it. podcast because we're Christian, but you're going to find. Oh, it is it is so fantastic so guys i really encourage you you must subscribe i'll make sure all the links to their social media and and everything is available to you okay so that you can connect up with these amazing amazing people okay before we close i want to end with a quick game on your marks get set go 
And it's basically 10 personal questions that you have to answer as quickly as possible. So I'm going to ask the first question and then I'm going to hand over to you, Mike, you answer, then Cynthia, you answer, and then I'm going to go to the next question. Okay. I, I haven't been asked 10 questions since I got arrested. so I'm not really sure. <laughs> I hope you are nervous, like very nervous. Right? <laughs> I am. I get a little frozen. Natural okay. Let's do it. Okay. So on your marks, get set, go. All right. So Mike, what was the last show you binged on TV? Criminal Masterminds. Oh, of course. Cynthia. No, it was Criminal Minds. Oh, Criminal, criminal Minds, right. It's a whole Mastermind thing. Sorry. He's, feeling like he's, he's, he's stuck on Mastermind. Mastermind. He's stuck he on Mastermind. Okay, Mike, what's your favorite sport? Football, hands down. And American football, not the, the little round ball thing. Oh, okay. All right. We're Australian rules football is good too, though. That's good fun. Because I like the All Blacks for, for rugby. So. Yes, they're amazing. I have no understanding of Australian football, but yes, the men love it. The women love yeah. it. Yeah, it's a big thing. Good. Cynthia, what about you, babe? Baseball. Baseball. Okay, Mike, what's your favorite meal? Tacos. <laughs> Cynthia? Oh, gee. Yeah, pizza. Oh, pizza. that's a lie. That's a straight lie. You like tacos I as like much tacos. as I do. You make tacos like twice a week, Melanie. So no, no, no. That I was, don't want to sound like I'm taking Don't yours. lie. This is a Christian podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike, paint us a snapshot of an everyday moment in your life that makes you smile. I wake up in the morning and there's this Newfoundland staring me in the face, a slight bit of drool hanging down, <laughs> waiting to go outside. And he goes, oh, and it makes me smile every time. That is so adorable. Oh, my gosh. Cynthia, what about you, hon? Oh, mine's not as adorable. The thing that smiles makes me smile every time is Mike gets up before I do enough so that I have a cup of coffee uh, ready oh. for me on the dresser. And so every time I reach for that cup of coffee uh, in order to start get ready for work, it gives oh, me a smile. That is so lovely. Okay, Mike. I mean, I think this has been established, but who's your favorite human? Oh, Cynthia, hands down. Hands down, Cynthia. Her mom is second, though. No, and it's and it's a mighty close second. And her mom <laughs> no. doesn't like people in general, no, she but <laughs> she and I get along fabulously. So it's, it's a one so one yeah. Oh my gosh! Okay, so maybe I need to get you back on this podcast, and we can talk about when the in law is not an outlaw. No. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I mean, shoot. I'm going to write that down for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Cynthia, what about you, hon? Who's your favorite human? Oh, Mike. Yeah. 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 We can, we can, all, and we Jesse, can all see that. And Jesse, our youngest, Jesse. right? Yeah. That's he's a 1-1-A also. That's a 1-1-A. He, he's got his oh. own special someone here with a new baby on the way coming oh. soon. So right. We'll let, uh, you know, I'll let him be her. Her favorite. Her, her favorite. We have, I what, love five that. and a half grandsons now? Yeah. Five. Five oh, and a half. you guys. Congratulations. That's amazing. Okay, Mike, yeah. what's your favorite yeah. animal? Oh, Newfoundland. Yeah. Cynthia? Yeah, Newfoundland dog can't sell. Yeah, dogs. Yeah. Okay, dog. Mike, what do you think of garden gnomes? I think they're disgusting. <laughs> yeah, and creepy. They're creepy and disgusting. I have, I, I just, I, I don't like them at all. I don't like we would not have one in the yard or in the house if the neighbors had one I would likely steal it and, and chuck it in the field across the street I don't is, like gnomes that is very un-English of you okay Cynthia right. what about you <laughs> I don't have anything nearly that entertaining I just find them I just find them creepy creepy huh yeah they're just creepy <laughs> 
Well, we just lost all the audience we had. In. Yeah, I know. That's it. They've all gone. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I bet there's, see, I'm not going to paint them with that broad of a brush. I bet there's others going, right. That's a terrible thing. Play gnomes. Take them out of the yard right now. Okay, Mike, are you a tea or coffee drinker? Coffee. I only drink tea. Um, well, frankly, I never drink tea. Coffee. You only drink tea when you're on a podcast with Nalini. Well, there's that. Yes. I mean, the, the, the green tea that's allegedly in the glass, right, is actually probably right. coffee, but I just wanted to sound very European. Yeah, right, right, right. Cynthia, what about you, baby? Are you tea, coffee drinker? Definitely coffee. Coffee. Okay. Okay. Mike, how do you handle stress? <laughs> Getting knotted up on the inside and getting very focused and being a miserable person to be around. Right? Love. Okay. Yes. yes. Cynthia <laughs> agrees. I like that. Yes. yes. He's very. Do very not very do not get me wound up is, is what the deal is. And, and so that's always been a problem with me. When I get wound up, I get really laser focused. I mean, laser focused on solving, getting rid of this stress. And it is the dogs go away. <laughs> Cynthia goes outside and putters in the yard, stuff like that, until I get this figured out. I do not handle that well at all. Right, right. Cynthia, what about you? Oh, I get quiet. I go, yeah. I go intro, introvert, introvert state. Um, and then I usually will try to remove myself from whatever is stressing me. Yeah, physically. Yeah. yeah, go for a walk if it's at work or something. Yeah, that's really good. Um, okay, and the last question, Mike. What are you most grateful for in your life? I, I should say my wife. Okay, and I, I realize I fully realize that, folks. But I'm full, I'm grateful for for what God's done in my life. Yeah, you know, the good and the, the, the difficult. I was going to say good and the bad, but it's really the good and the difficult. It comes from yeah. God. It's not bad, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm really grateful to God. I mean, truly grateful. And there's mm -hmm. there's times when people don't understand that, and I, and I get that. I mean, I don't get asked to speak at a lot of places or do that sort of thing I mean, once, and then that's about it. And they realize, oh no, we're having next come. That doesn't bother me. The, the the deal is, I'm really grateful to God for what He's done. Mm. and continues to do i mean he hasn't just yeah. stopped you know no. so i'm grateful. i really that. am grateful for that yeah i love that cynthia what about you yeah I, you know it sounds weird but i'm i'm grateful for the time that we had apart <clears throat> because it allowed us to each god to grow us each in the way that we each needed to grow so that when he brought us back together mm. we were much better than we were um had we been together the whole time Wow, um, you know, and it's easier. It's easier, of course, to say that now that it's been <laughs> thirteen yeah. years ago. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm most grateful for is that that through that lessons that we learned that that God is first and foremost, and He likes. I think I think God likes that a lot. Yeah, guys, thank you, thank you so much thank for joining you. us. Are you kidding? You're our favorite yeah. podcast to be on. What we are you talking. Do we just see you and we go? Oh. I just happy. love her. I just want to pinch her cheeks. She's so been she's so happy all day, <laughs> bouncing around. Is it a lady? Is it a lady? It's like, settle down, settle down. Don't be over anxious. Settle down. <laughs> I love you guys. Thanks again for joining us. Hey, uh, we love you too. Thank you for having us. If you're excited about this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your loved ones. We want the ripple to go out far and wide. Till next time, I love you heaps.